trigger warnings for this episode. Poverty, attempted suicide. You've got writing credits. Like, that's pretty cool. You got an IMDb page. That's not something that everyone has. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The funny thing is, like, when, when you start out, you try, like, you just want to get the IMDb page. And so you're like, <laughs> you put, like, the very first thing you ever work on up there. And then as years go bo- go on, you're like, I just want to take that thing, those things off. You, you can't <laughs> remove stuff from your IMDb. <laughs> yeah, I can see why that would be annoying, but like once you've kind of arrived and it's like once you put your second thing on imdb you're like well now the first one doesn't need to be there (laughs) like that was just a stepping stone uh but luckily i think everyone has some embarrassing stuff on their you know on their imdb page once you've been in the in the industry of any kind for long enough all right okay all right i can do this (sighs) don't be nervous I like to pretend like I'm really nervous and then it kind of makes me actually a little nervous. I usually start it as a joke and then it turns a little real and then I'm like, oh, it's just joking. Anyway. Hey, Amusement Sparks listeners. This is Andrew Spawn, the host of Amusement Sparks. And with us today is Alan Denton. He's a writer for animation. He's the story editor on Cartoon Network's Sonic Boom, co-head writer on Nick Jr.'s Sunny Day, and he's written other stuff for Nickelodeon and Lego. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hey, hey Andrew. Happy to be here. <laughs> Excited to have you on. It's pretty cool Thanks. that you've got, you know, a history of writing animation and that's just your job. Like that, it seems like <laughs> such a dream job. You know, I feel like so many kids grow up watching cartoons and once they realize hey, a human made this, like they're like, I want to do that. But I don't think there's many humans that can say that's their job title. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right. You know, it's funny because at a certain age, kids don't even realize that that um, that somebody makes this. Right. Like I, I have like my brother's kids have a hard time even understanding. They 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 resolved that because that I'm friends with Sonic the Hedgehog was the best they could understand <laughs> it. Which is true. Yeah, I was like, all right, I'll take that. If you are looking to become a television writer, I would say look to animation as a as a, at least a spot to break in because it is easier to break in over there than in live action. Um, just because most of the animation work tends to be freelance, so you can kind of like pick up a script if someone's being very charitable. Whereas like on another show, you'd have to get hired for the whole season or whatever. Yeah, that's really cool. And also, I feel like somehow with animation, maybe the way that scripts are and the way that human faces are when they're actors, like it's almost like your fingerprints are more visible through cartoon than they are like in a live action thing. Like you, not every live oh, action sure. thing you can say like, oh, I can tell who wrote this episode. But sometimes on animation, you get that vibe. You're like, this reminds me of this other show. Oh, he worked on that, you know? Yeah, well, I think it's because the there's just so much more control. Like you can control everything uh, you know, the showrunner, I mean, controls everything yeah. of animation where, you know, they, 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 you know, they approve the layout and the character designs and everything has to go through them for notes and revisions and then coming back. And then they, you know, then they do the final edit and stuff. There's just uh, like, if you compare it with like a busy film set where there's just a hundred people all doing jobs and wardrobe and set dressing and everything, it's just, um, it's probably better in a collaborative uh, sense uh, sure. to like have other people, but uh, in animation, if you're a control freak, like you could you can make them custom build exactly what you want for every part of the show. Um, they can move the actors just perfectly to accentuate the joke, 
Whereas a human actor is going to have some limitations on how far their face can stretch, for example, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or what they're willing to debase themselves to do. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. Cartoon actors are very easy to work with and uh, they're there to play ball, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Mama put you on the road out of bed and she ran to the police station. When the papa found out, he began to shout and he started the investigation. I invited you on the show and, and you chose the topic of Wes Anderson, who's a, a director. I'm hugely, uh, I'm, I'm deeply a fan of his. I'm not saying he's the best director of all time, but like I definitely want to see all of his movies and I've been kind of identified with him through growing up. People are like, you seem like you like Wes Anderson. I'm like, yeah, I do like Wes Anderson. What about it? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like an insult. Right, it kind of does. You look like the kind of guy who'd like Wes Anderson. What do you mean? What does that mean exactly? And I got that a lot about, um, uh, what was it? Uh, Michael Sarah for some reason in high school, people are always like, probably like Michael Sarah movies. I'm like, yeah. And then eventually I graduated. And then in college, everyone's pegging me for the Wes Anderson guy. It's not like I'm wearing a scarf and like a funny hat or anything, but yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're wearing, wearing a little khaki uniform. And, uh, <laughs> Everything's kind of military surplus. Vintage suitcase. <laughs> yeah. But how did you uh, come to find Wes Anderson? And why did you choose that wacky topic? So Wes Anderson's my favorite director. Uh, I, you know, I, I went to film school at a time. I, I went to film school from 2003 to 2007. Uh, and that, I think, was a very Wes Anderson-y time in, the, in, young, in young filmmakers. Um, I, I, I think the first Wes Anderson movie I saw was probably Rushmore. Um, hmm. Which I, I, which is okay. People go nuts over Rushmore. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't backflip over it. Uh, but then, like shortly thereafter, while I was in high school, I saw the Royal Tenenbaums, and I was just like, "This is it. This is the, the, the one movie that I will watch for the rest of my life." Um, and I don't know. I guess it was just so. It's about the symmetry and the just that malaise. Uh, mm -hmm. feeling in it and it just felt like when I watch a Wes Anderson movie I I always feel that everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be yes it's perfectly like handcrafted like everything is just so you know it's very intentional yeah yeah like you're watching a little yeah a little diorama that he cut you know he cut all the cardboard figures out with an exacto knife um and so I, I think it, it sparked a lot more thought in me than other movies that uh, I guess seemed less overtly directed because I was always looking at it and, and trying to see what was, uh, you know, what is being said in the shot, what, what information is, you know, because there's always like five layers of information in all of his shots and everything. Uh, and so I think it was one of the first Royal Tenenbaums was one of the first movies that I was rewatching to try and catch uh, what else was going on in the frame and, 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 and everything. Um, yeah. In college, Wes Anderson came to my college, uh, oh. my um, sophomore year, which was when life aquatic came out and, uh, and I like cut class to camp out 
Not, uh, I mean, like not like overnight, but like he, he was showing the movie at like six o'clock and I just like cut class and got in line at like one thirty to like watch, you know, to to watch this screening of Life Aquatic. Um, and uh, it changed it caused the administrators at my university to change their policy on, on like visiting filmmakers because uh I and other students cut class, which is the whole point of school. Um, <laughs> That's debatable, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So you're you're making a policy reform left and right here. Oh but yeah, yeah. Did he speak? And was it was it profound? Like, did it move you as a young filmmaking student? He did a Q and A afterward. I'm not. <laughs> I, I can't remember anything that he said. I was just kind of, I, I was in the front row, just like, yeah, look at that guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Did he get to smell him? Oh my God, I always wondered what he smelled like. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I think my question was like, why wasn't Kumar in this movie? You know, because he had been in every movie up until that point. And he was like, oh, we shot a scene and it was cut. And like, that was my, that was my, uh, my grand experience with him. Yeah, I don't think I, I don't know. I don't think I gained anything. By going. Mm. I got to see the movie. I didn't like bring anything for him to sign. Um, I didn't take a picture. Um, I just like didn't go to school all day. <laughs> that was like my lasting experience. You got a story from it, I guess. And I also think it, as the filmmaker, I feel like that would be a really weird situation. It's not like you're there to impact wisdom or give a workshop or something. You're just... Like a Q&A is a hard time to really make a, a lasting impact on the audience, I think, unless they have like one specific little nerdy question they want to ask and yeah. just knocks it out of the park or whatever. But yeah, but I mean, like if you can imagine like when Life Aquatic comes out and then there's like Wes Anderson at, at New York University with like speaking to like 50 skinny white male film students <laughs> just all looking at him, with, you know with doe eyes like oh boy you know um i i guess he was like i don't know he he was speaking to um to to guys like me i guess um yeah um yeah such an auteur too like i i definitely think it'd be he's one of those people that would be so cool to to even be in the same room with and just kind of share the same air with for a little bit like just be around because I feel like his uh, vision seems to be so true and like comes off perfectly in the film. Like, so everything is so, so authentic uh, feeling or at least intentional. And sometimes it feels very artificial, still feels really intentional. I don't know. He's, he's really good at what he does. And usually in my experience, most auteurs are just really good at finding the right people that share a similar vision, empowering them too. The thing with Wes and and the thing some people don't like about him is that it is obvious every time he directs anything, it's obvious from frame <laughs> one that it is him and nobody else. It's um, true. And so some people uh, look at that and go like, this guy needs to be the the star he's not he's not letting the movie speak for itself everything's got to be a wes anderson movie and everyone has you know the same way people maybe criticize like aaron sorkin where it's like every aaron sorkin movie feels like aaron sorkin is there forcing it to happen um maybe wes anderson is the most immediately noticeable too because it's just the composition of a shot you're like 
Wes Anderson, whereas Aaron Sorkin or or Tarantino or you know various other people who are identified as auteurs, you can't always tell from like a single frame like this is definitely this person. But I feel like Wes Anderson is like there's some shots that nobody else would would even do maybe because it's yeah. such a it just looks like I'm copying Wes Anderson if I do this kind of shot. Well, yeah, there's like, I mean, some people do like knockoffs or you'll you know like napoleon dynamite had a ton of wes anderson influence in it but it didn't look it didn't you knew it wasn't a wes anderson movie it like at times it it just felt like one uh there's a subreddit i subscribe to called accidental wes anderson (laughs) that sounds amazing and and it's just like people's vacation photos when you know they just like take a picture of a you know a, a of a of a bus stop you know, in, in Milan or something. Go, huh. That's amazing. I'm following this right now. Um, Cause I do love that kind of art style. I feel like this might be a little bit of a stretch, but I think it has had an impact on like Instagram and stuff of the way that people take pictures to be very like everything in its place and like really organized. And then also just interesting color compositions. And I don't know, I feel like he has probably inspired a lot of people to, up artistic careers whether it's like an interior designer or something or um working in film it's like yeah really pretty iconic stuff yeah i'm sure he's made a lot of quirky people pick up a vintage camera on a dead and use a dead film stock to take pictures of their belongings uh, and uh handwrite in their notebooks uh inventory by like kind of quirky like uh sort of primitive or amateur looking artwork at goodwill and hang it up in a nice vintage frame and yeah okay so i'm starting to see why people thought i was kind of a wes anderson guy in college wait did i just describe you a a bit and i don't feel attacked i mean i've I've grown past that phase but i definitely felt almost empowered like yeah you can be the quirky weird guy and you're still cool um i don't know wes anderson's that cool i think he's really cool um his pictures, at least. I don't know much about the the human, but you know, I like the movies for sure. Yeah, he's got some great commercials that he's directed too. But like you said, they're very obviously. Oh, Wes Anderson did this. You sent me that one. Oh yeah, I sent you the uh, the H and M. They have like a, yeah. a hol- winter holiday train commercial. Yeah, and it just like opens on like a pastel blue train with Adrian Brody sitting in the middle of it. And it's all super wide and there's just a little window. It's just like a big blue wall with a little window with Adrian Brody in there with like a vintage telephone. You go like, yep, <laughs> Wes Anderson. I mean, but then again, like sometimes, you know, a, a grandparent will pass away and you're going through their stuff and you're like, accidental Wes Anderson right here. Like this, yeah. this telephone, the color of this wallpaper, this uh, sheet, this like floral sheet, like this is so Wes Anderson. It is. Uh, yeah. It's just, I, I think he does have like a really interesting taste for like vintage things and particularly like strange things. I think in that same commercial, there's a shot where there's like a bunk in the train, like a bunk bed, and there's a, a little tiny shelf that you can put your suitcase on, but it's like eight inches below the ceiling. So it's like a really weirdly placed shelf, just perfect, just so that this one perfectly sized uh, suitcase can fit in there. But it's like, that's so Wes Anderson. If you saw that in the world, you'd say, oh. Wes Anderson designed this train, you know, for this goofy little little thing. Everything fits perfectly in its little place. Right. Um, <laughs> should I try to hide the way I feel inside my heart 
for you. Would you say that you would try to love me too? In your mind, could you ever be really close to me? I can tell the way you smile. If I feel that I could be certain, then I would say the things I want to say tonight. Do you, would you say the Royal Tenenbaums is still your favorite Wes Anderson movie? Um, yes, uh, yes, I would. I mean, it, so I'm I'm 35, but everything that happens to be my favorite just happened to catch me between the ages of 14 and 19. You know what I mean? Um, I think his best work. If I'm looking at this objective goggles, I'd probably say his best work is probably Moonrise Kingdom. But uh, Royal Tenenbaums, to me, is uh, what I always thought was the the perfect movie for me. Um, it is an amazing movie. If anyone out there hasn't seen Royal Tenenbaums, it's fantastic. I love the house. Yeah. I love the characters, the music. So it's so cool. I don't know. It's in. The worlds are somewhere between feeling authentic and feeling very curated and like um, artificial and dollhousey, but somehow it's still really evocative. Well, yeah, he does things in that movie such as it's set in a city and it's obviously filmed in New York City, but it's an invented city. They never say New York and they live on like streets that don't exist in New York. Um, there's even there's one shot in that um oh you know what this i learned in the q a actually um wes anderson said that uh you know so there's a shot where gene hackman and kumar palana are are at the like the seaport discussing you know uh, a, a plot and uh and the statue of liberty should be in the background but kumar is standing in front of it blocking the statue of liberty <laughs> the camera. i never noticed got, that he got in an argument with Gene Hackman because Gene was going, you brought us here. The whole point of filming here is to get the Statue of Liberty. Why are you having him stand in front of the Statue of Liberty? And he was like, no, I don't want the Statue of Liberty in the shop. And he was like, then why did we come here? Why didn't we go to anywhere else? Um, Man, that, that's, that's clever. <laughs> it kind of has like a punk aesthetic almost, like in that, that kind of way of subverting expectations or... Um, he'll like pay homage to a film like it's very clearly this is what he's referencing is this the old film and uh but then he'll go a different direction with it so like it's just i think he does like to subvert expectations um and that's kind of his style so you come to expect that he's going to subvert expectations and i don't know he's just also seems to be a real film nerd and likes kind of throwing and peppering in different references to different things that he you know kind of grew up with probably hitting him between yeah. the ages of 14 and 19 too. <laughs> yeah. and, and I always like, um, it seems that even when he tries to get rough around the edges, like there's a few shots in like Life Aquatic where it goes handheld for a little bit, mm -hmm. but it still is so rigid and so plotted that I, I find it darling that like when he tries to get like really down and dirty with it, it still looks like it's in a scrapbook. Right. That's so true. It, it always looks like it's um, some kind of playset, like an action figure playset, or it's like, this is just a very well curated, very minimal uh, complexity, but then there's tons of detail within each little 
nook and cranny. It's just, I, I don't know. I really love that. I love the kind of dollhouse things. And I love those camera movements where you go from one room to another room. Oh yeah. Yeah. So cool. Um, That's probably why the life aquatics budget was so high was they had to build this gigantic yeah. ship uh, just as a cutaway, like. Yeah. Yeah. The, thing. The, for those who haven't seen it or don't remember, it looks like if you remember those old picture encyclopedias where they do like a cross section of a skyscraper or something, it was like that. It was like a half, a, it was a submarine if it was sliced down the middle and half was removed. So you could, you know, like a, like a, like a Hollywood squares type of stage set where they're all separate <laughs> rooms and they're crossing around through them. Um, yeah. That was nuts because that was all one giant piece. It's absolutely insane. I've I've contemplated recreating that out of Legos, and I was like, no, it's too big, too too high budget. <laughs> but like the fact that he did that out of like real human scale things, because the actors are walking around on it, it's not a miniature like you might expect. It's just incredible. Yeah, I wonder if like today they would make Wes do that in CG, and if he I... would stand for it i, I don't, I don't know. know i mean it does seem like I get, he's been getting he's been doing you know some stop motion stuff which you can't really fake maybe that's in reaction to cg yeah. becoming more popular i haven't like read any interviews uh, of him or anything like that but i, I don't know maybe that's Isle of dogs probably has some cg in it and fantastic mr fox probably has some but you can't really tell it feels very authentic mm -hmm. and handcrafted like the rest of his work um yeah and man there's so much to appreciate about the guy i'm really glad that you got this to the show because making yeah. a theme park to me one of my favorite things about doing this kind of theme park um where you aren't just there to like have throughput and make money off of attractions it's like this is just hypothetical we can do whatever we want to so it's basically just what world would you want to go into and how can we set it up a little bit like i feel like wes anderson would be like into this kind of thing, maybe more a boutique hotel than an actual theme park. Like maybe he wouldn't use those words, but yeah. I think it'll be fun to kind of brainstorm and riff on his style as a theme park. Like were there first, were there things that initially jumped to mind for you when you like proposed that topic? Well, I guess, uh, well, you know, the, what comes to mind the most vividly is the, the Disney Disneyland Main Street USA type of mm. zone where I I can see, um, yeah, a little a little European city street with pastel colored buildings and and cast members just in vague finely pressed uniforms <laughs> uh, crisscrossing and um, you know and, and it kind of goes with that aesthetic of like um, outdated uh service workers or occupations the elevator operator the trolley conductor type of folks the um you know the the, the i don't know like a radio uh, i i would picture like a like a ham radio or a cb radio station or something and i just kind of i that's really what i would want if i went to the theme park was just to live in that um I don't know. I don't know how to keep that authentic because then it would just be full of uh, people in t-shirts and sandals walking <laughs> Hawaiian around. Hawaiian shirts and like a camera strapped around their neck and sunscreen yeah. on their nose. Um, <laughs> no, it it would be. Uh, we could have a dress code, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> There's a little costume shop you walk through, and uh, 
It's like a vintage store. Yeah. I don't want to be a gatekeeper. But, uh... <laughs> no, but you want people to feel like they're a part of the experience. Uh, so, yeah, maybe there's just like a free, uh, super sanitary vintage shop that you go through and you pick your, your little so, outfit. And <laughs> So here was something that immediately I, I thought about when I was thinking about this. Because that would be, you know, every spot in this park is a photo spot, right? Everything would be designed to be photographed well. Um, and so I was like, what's like the take home photo. And, um, and I remember years ago, I saw this video where some people ran into Bill Murray at an airport and they asked for a picture. And he said like, how about we do a Wes Anderson ending? And they just, they set up a camera and Bill Murray and these guys just walked together toward camera down this empty airport hallway. And then they put it in slow motion and put some rock music over it. And it looked like the ending of a Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> so so I, I, I would like to, I feel like that's the main photo spot is like, they'll film a Wes Anderson ending for you. You and your friends will go strut, strut down this street and then you can pick which song you want over it on your epic, you know, end, uh, Wes Anderson ending. And then that's what you that's take home. That's so cool. I love that so much. And there can maybe be like a really like cute, quaint uh, record player of some sort. That's just, you know, Wes's private selection of like closing, <laughs> you know, closing credits songs. And you get to choose from this record machine, like some kind of old world setup. I love that idea of, of doing different shots in Wes Anderson style. Like we were kind of talking about with like almost that dollhouse uh, Hollywood squares setup. Like you can just, a room that you really like and stand there like reading a book or doing something casual but looking very posed and the camera will like yeah. a dolly shot will like slide over into your room and it could just be so funny having like quick little you know montage of like yeah you I, in I these kinds of set shots even if they had rides i don't think i would go on them because <laughs> i think i would just yeah i would tie a, a a sweater around my neck and wear some too short uh you know uniform shorts and some long socks and just stand around with a you know with a uh, you know a stack of books or something and some old headphones love that in in a way a lot of his stuff seems to be like a celebration of of bygone eras kind of like what you're talking about like professions that are for one underrepresented in media but also that you don't really see in the world anymore and then technology mm -hmm. that's outdated and so i don't know it's just almost like a a twee celebration of arcane or old world stuff from, you know, the forties through the sixties ish. And yeah. Know, it's, it's almost beyond Wes Anderson in a way. Cause a lot of this stuff, I feel like people only see in a museum or in a Wes Anderson movie, they're not going to see it anywhere else unless they're cleaning out their grandparents' house. You know, it's like, it's some pretty weird, uh, cute, quirky stuff. And I think a lot of people just have fun just being able to play around with it and explore it and be like, what is this thing? Um, it almost works yeah. just as like an on foot exploration through like a very curated selection of fictional history. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder like, um, I, I wonder how many people like high school students or something who like maybe didn't have much money to buy, like, you know, the, the most popular, clothes just went like oh i can be that guy i can be that really really particular 
guy, you know, where it's like, I don't go to the thrift store because I can't afford it. I go because I'm into this particular aesthetic and I'm very precise about it. um, I think that's a real, that's a real path to uh, some kind of fame within high school. Like I I remember a kid who just had like a full suit, like one suit and he'd wear it twice a month and everyone would just go crazy on those days when he would wear it. (laughs) Yes. He's doing it. He's here. Um, Man. And it does get you, either like it's some level of, of fame in a high school setting. I think, you know, you stand out from the crowd and it's like, yeah, I'm particular and I'm, I'm old fashioned. And um, yeah, it's like the, the kind of people who tie their own bow ties, which I'm that kind of guy, but it does get a certain level of uh, attention to detail. And it kind of expresses a certain je ne sais quoi um, that like just having a, a, a clip on like everybody else doesn't, doesn't have. It's a, it's a specific kind of person. I think that might be interested in those kinds of things. And if a lack of funds drives you there, then that's great. Like it can give you a an attention to detail and appreciation of things that not everyone else is appreciating, which I think we need more of that, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I pull I pulled that I pulled wearing a suit to school for no reason before. Cool. Um, yeah, I pulled the. I mean, I I wore stolen bowling shoes as like from the bowling alley as my shoes a friend a like year. that literally the um, stolen bowling shoes thing i didn't know anyone else in the world ever thought to do that yeah uh it would have been better if they were like nice bowling shoes but they were like falling apart at the time i stole them <laughs> you wanted to rebel but you didn't want to be too bad you're like well they're gonna replace these in a few months i'll put them out of their misery <laughs> No, I think I had a I had a friend that worked at the bowling alley and I was like, get me a pair of shoes. And he like gave me the ones that they were definitely about to throw away. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess I was that a little, a little bit. Um, but I, I feel like I have a friend like from film school who's like a big Wes Anderson fan too. And he, he did that same thing, bow tie and like weird vintage print shirts and, and like, corduroy pants and everything and i thought that was you know and well i mean it was his aesthetic and then like i found out later that uh like he grew up like poor legitimately poor and like lived in a trailer for part of his life and i was like oh i thought uh, like he was like yeah i I could only afford stuff at thrift stores and i was like oh i thought i thought you were cool and he was but i thought like he just did that because he was making a cool choice and he was he was kind of forced into it and then found the cool way through it hey it's just like i can't afford aeropostale you know or there's one shirt from there that's at goodwill but there's so many clothes from a previous period that's that people don't love anymore and if you like if you find it and find the ones that fit well you know as long as clothes fit well they'll look good on you so you know if you just if you're willing to put in the time to find the stuff that fits very well you know you can be you can be that guy you can be that quirky guy yeah it can be really empowering absolutely and and you know teenagers are trying to like explore themselves and figure out who am i anyway and so it is kind of fun to like stand out once in a while and you know people turn heads to be like this guy's doing something that we're not all doing it's kind of an exciting exciting time so hopefully uh some people got some inspiration out of just wes anderson even for their own clothing choices
Do we want to go movie by movie, or what do you think? <sighs> so you think each movie is a, <laughs> a it's a themed zone for each movie? Not necessarily. I was almost thinking we could do it kind of by like time periods or like certain areas. Like there, there's some stuff that's kind of set in a city. Although mm. speaking of time, I feel like so much of it could be just like 1960. Right. Yeah. Seem like that's like the middle of a lot of the action here. Like I know Grand Budapest Hotel is I think the 40s or maybe a little earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, there's some that are more modern, of course. Yeah. When was Moonrise Kingdom set? That feels. Very I want to say 60s. Yeah. I feel like that's yeah. the one we would actually hit, whereas the rest of them we'd be rounding up or rounding down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bottle Rocket doesn't exactly work in the 60s, maybe. But most everything else does. Yeah, well, I mean, Bottle Rocket is is kind of the outlier on his on his uh, on his IMDb page a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. In that, it, I mean, that one is a, a little rougher and a little uh, a little more slapdash. I, I was trying to think about what, like, if we started at Bottle Rocket, what a Bottle Rocket ride is. Um. I don't know. I guess I picture like, um, you know, one of those sit in a cart and and be driven through the story type of uh, type of rides, Um, you know, a Mr. Toad's wild ride type of thing uh, that just like you would start and, you know, Owen Wilson is is beckoning you to uh to help him pull this con and you just sort of get pulled through reluctantly um but i don't know is there is there another is there a better way around this because i was thinking the same thing i was thinking you could do some kind of interactive thing where it's like setting up the heist like a almost like a strategy type game or something or like a escape room type of thing um but i think a, a ride would work really well in the car yeah, because I, you know, it's so easy to do that for every ride because because they are narrative. Every every movie is a story. Um, I guess I guess I want to do that for Bottle Rocket because I feel like that's the film of his that the least has just a feeling of being in it. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that one's just kind of kind of a meat and potatoes, straight narrative. Uh, you know, ride along. Um, Rushmore. Yes. Rushmore is a place. It's, I mean, Rushmore Academy. There's there's a little campus for you. There's a green space. There's a school. Uh, there's a classroom. What's the ride? Because I again, that's one that like I can envision the experience of being right in Rushmore Academy. Um, I think that he does have like a he has a bunch of clubs and that's kind of the things like this precocious kid is in all these oh, yeah. student activities. He has a go kart club. And I was like, they could just have go karts in there, and it's just yeah, like, yeah, I guess he could. <laughs> there's just I think a lot of little activities you could do there. There's there's the bombardment society, which is like their dodgeball club. There's fencing, which I don't know if we'd want people to do that. Um, just a, a bunch of little like things that are kind of fun to do like little amusement yeah. like it's almost like a um oh crap what's it called one of those things that comes to town like a not a carnival but a other one i guess like a state fair or something oh that sounds really okay. trashy but it's like, like a, a really fair? classy really classy wes anderson style county fair where there's there's go-karts and there's dodgeball and there's fencing okay this well, is a I, weird idea i think i think the go-karts are the way in 
Yeah, um, maybe go karts being the main attraction, and then and then just throughout the school, there's uh, rooms you can pop into for activities. I mean, you can throw an arts yeah. and crafts in there, and you can make little felt whatevers and um, Ooh, you could even do maybe stop motion like have a little stop motion class going on where you're learning you can animate the little puppets from various other stop yeah. motion films yeah you fly a kite. A... the kite flying society is out back or something would children enjoy this or would this just be 40 year olds it's it's uh it's high school seniors up through 40 year olds i'd say <laughs> although grandparents that might be into it to uh just, i remember i used to have a telephone like that yeah like the kite flying or like making little crafts seems quaint but i'm also imagining children doing it and then i feel like i would get there and there would just be a bunch of beardy guys kind of all uh it's your you audience know. from the q a i mean just grown up yeah uh, yeah. I don't know if there's an ideal audience for this theme park, to be honest. <laughs> no one knows going to lose so much money. Yeah, no, um, it's it's going to be the worst thing Wes Anderson ever put his name on. <laughs> and I'm glad to be a part of it. Uh, I don't know. You could do some some kind of exploration-based things where you're kind of walking through different classrooms and you're seeing these cute little scenes that are set up. Um, it's not necessarily narrative, but you're kind of exploring and, and seeing these well-designed little spaces. And maybe you're trying to collect, uh, there's like stamps and coins hidden throughout and, and, you know, Max needs you to find, it's almost like a basic video game at this point though. Yeah. I mean, there, there is that where they could give you like a little passport and you're like, oh, you gotta, you know, you gotta get a stamp for every club you're a member of. And that's like an activity that kids can do or grown man um go get a stamp for every club and then and then you'll get a junior achievers badge or something if you complete every activity so that's you could you could spend a day in there just by that Tenenbaums. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the, um, I think about uh, Mordecai, the, the hawk or falcon. falcon. Yeah. yeah. I think of falcon. Um, maybe like a Mordecai's flight or something, like a flying, uh, a flying ride or something over through this fictional New York or something. Sounds um, cool. All the landmarks are like just blocked by traffic cones or <laughs> whatever happens to be in the way. Yeah. Pedestrians uh... walking. That's pretty cool. And like some of the stuff you're like, well, doesn't that break the immersion? It's like, no, you are the camera operator and uh, you're doing a shot that's uh, supposed to look like Mordecai's POV. So <laughs> that's why it's flying around like this. That I don't know. Yeah. That that might shut somebody I mean, that up could who's be... complaining. I mean... <sighs> That, that would probably realistically be a, a, a screen experience mm -hmm. where, you know, the, the like Soren, like Soren over California or something where you get in the, yeah. get in the chair and then, then you, uh, you fly over with Mordecai or is that just like, is that too basic CG? Like there's going to be, I don't, I don't know. know. 
it could be a roller coaster too, I think, and just kind of tracing yeah. the oh, flight yeah. pattern of kind of feature in a Wes Anderson style way. Like what what path of a roller coaster would Wes Anderson want you to see flying around this fictional city? Yeah. I think that works. That's kind of cool. And maybe you could see um little hints of the other parts of the theme park, like um, you know, maybe that you can see the uh the ship from the life aquatic out on the water in the mm-hmm little bay over there um it could be kind of cool if you fly around and there's like rushmore academy like setting it all in the same universe is always kind of cute yeah. especially if the pedestrians yeah. you know the pedestrians what the park guests are going to be walking around from place to place then it's like that breaks the magic of i'm going into a different movie now or i don't know yeah yeah i like the idea of it as a as a coaster um i wonder um you know, there, there's there's not much to go by on Mordecai. I, I just picked Mordecai. Uh, they, That's they, an exciting they, thing. It's our first coaster. Yeah, <laughs> it's your first one. I mean, uh, no, in, in this theme in park. the Wes Anderson park. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they they do a thing where Mordecai, uh, when he when he comes back at the end, he's he's been molt he's molted. He's uh, he's his feathers have changed because he went and he got lost and he came back. And they said when you when you undergo a traumatic experience, you can uh, you know uh sometimes their feathers turn white um but i i don't know if we want i don't know if we can work that into the coaster at all that <laughs> that you underwent trauma um sure uh <laughs> we can make this work there's got to be some some way if it's a really scary coaster people's hair will get a shock <laughs> or white or um yeah, yeah. we could make it yeah. narrative if you want to go through mordecai's journey that does seem like um, something that Wes Anderson would kind of just have a scene about instead of a whole like narrative. It'd be like, uh, Oh, I, this I, guy's I, gone. Oh, he came back. Yeah. It's a, it's a coaster. It's a, just a coaster. <laughs> uh, I, I later found out that that was that whole like Mordecai thing was because they got a different bird. That's hilarious. Wow. And so They were like, that's not <laughs> the same bird. And then they just kind of added in like, Oh, I heard that uh, sometimes they look different. Like, if they if something happens while they're gone and i took so much meaning out of that i was just gonna say i'm sure so many people were like oh what a deep like what a cool reference well yeah because you know like in that movie you know there like it's about the literal scars you know there's a suicide attempt and and he's left with scars all over himself and and his bird comes back his bird also has scars and it's about being uh broken but but still going forward and everything like i i took real meaning out of that and then i was like oh it's just the wrong bird wow that is that's really surprising that's that's <laughs> man it's interesting the the process itself adds a lot i think when things don't go perfectly well then you can i don't know sometimes it adds a little bit of magic in there that's really cool yeah that's um, great i, I think right. just walking through the tenenbaum's house would be so cool sure well i mean that's probably the if we're doing a coaster the the house is a great walkthrough queue to get mm-hmm. to the coaster you know oh that's Especially, cool and mordecai's things on the roof anyway right yeah it can go vertical you can kind of start up high you know so so there's a walkthrough through all the rooms of the house to get to the roof to get on the coaster and take the flight boom that's really cool and i was thinking about that kind of thing if you're doing a walkthrough i, I was wondering because there's a couple options you could have actors portraying the characters in the movie and just like doing the same scene for each group of people who's walking through it 
or it could be an animatronic or it could just be like a wax figure which is the route i might go for because it feels more antiquated of they're just like (laughs) there's a model here or maybe it's like a not a wax figure but some other technology of like here's a fake person who's doing the thing you expect like a mannequin maybe maybe they're just mannequins in these iconic poses or something i don't know what do you think i don't know well it should just be an empty house yeah i I kind of like that feeling of it's a lived in house you know with everything so perfectly you know their clothes laid out on the bed for them or something um but i don't know how to do like that's how like disneyland does you walk through mickey's house or something and there's just rooms uh but mickey also exists you know as a as a character for photos i don't uh, I don't know. It feels wrong to just have actors to not have Ben Stiller or something and just have. Uh, you can get Ben Stiller. Actor. We've got the budget. His, oh, okay. Uh, his schedule is right. pretty open. <laughs> uh, my understanding is uh, Gene Hackman will never work with Wes Anderson again. So. Ooh, can't really? Him. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. Um, he's just, uh, I think it was a personality thing. Bill Murray. We need Bill Murray, though. Of course he adds so much to these movies i think and that's probably a big draw for them like i bet that's maybe why a lot of people might have been drawn to watch their first wes anderson movies like oh bill murray's in it he, he was in ghostbusters oh he's great um he's great yeah I and it's interesting he um... he adds a certain something to these movies you know it's not necessarily like he's known for being the most artistic person of all time but like he's really good in most of these movies yeah i think it was you know so bill murray um has kind of made a name for himself where he can he can do a sad clown performance and has done several but i think rushmore was probably the first time a director gave him the reins to you know, play a, a part with real drama, I guess. I'm assuming that it's a loyalty based to casting him in Rushmore and letting him show his chops a little bit. And now he'll just do anything Wes wants forever. Hey, all Wes has to do is call his 800 number. And yeah. <laughs> what a cool dude. Yeah, so that's, a, that's a very insider uh, thing. But uh, for those that don't know, Bill Murray famously has no agent and the way to contact him is to dial a phone number to a voicemail box and leave him a message with a pitch for what you want to do. And I'm sure Wes has a cell phone number, but like every major director who wants to work with Bill Murray has to just call and leave him a message. And if he listens to it and he's available and interested, he'll call you back. Amazing. <laughs> what an in, in, what an enigma man yeah <laughs> i think i think murray would pop by quite a bit to this park when wherever yeah. it is whenever he was in town i'm sure he would make the time like he he shows up at minor league baseball parks in minnesota like hey, he can he can come to this there's a documentary uh called like stories about bill or something like that and it's it has this very unlicensed artwork of bill murray on the on the thumbnail if you're ever looking it up online but it's just a documentary of people telling stories that they heard about bill murray so it's just like urban legends and it's only about bill murray and it's really great because there's so many of them of him just showing up at some random place like crashing a party um it seems really cool like i think he could have fun going to a theme park that has a lot of his characters in it but he's just like 
selling, you know, working in the, the store or he's like, oh, yeah, working in the restaurant yeah, or something. If he's the ice cream scoop or something for, <laughs> oh, how for whimsical. 20 minutes and then, you know, word will get around and then he's gone and nobody knows if, if he was really ever there or if it's just a prank that someone's pulling. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, um, yeah. We want to keep. Oh, are you ready to move on to the next one? Um, well, uh, is there anything else for Royal Tenenbaums you thinking? I don't know. I don't want to leave anything on the table if there's something, if your heart's on fire still, because I know it's a movie that you really love. I mean, there, there's also like tennis is a big part of it, but that, that's such a, it, that's a tough sport to bring into uh, a theme park. Like maybe there should be a theme park slash country club and like yeah. the uh the academy can also have some nice tennis courts. You just go play tennis yeah. over there. You know, Wes has never done country club, has he? Like that that would be like old fashioned like golf club with attached restaurants. You could definitely see it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh even my experience, the golf the country club that was like across the street from where I grew up was very old school and very like 60s feeling like it smelled like cigar smoke and everything's like mahogany and like weird shades of green and brass and i could yeah. I, I could see it i could definitely see a wes anderson thing being set in a yeah. there's uh, there's a, an amazon show from a couple of years ago called red oaks and that like feels mm. like it's almost like a wes anderson type of world it's like you know again it's i think it's set in the 80s or something at like uh at a country club it, it's one of those where like you watch and go this reminds me of wes anderson but i know he didn't make this a country club type area even if it's just you know that it's not really a theme park it's not you're not going there for your thrills necessarily it's just more like a cool spot to walk around and do some little mini games of you know go-kart racing and tennis and whatnot um oh. but it, it also kind of fits within the world like I could see Bill Murray's character from uh, Rushmore spending a lot of time. I don't know if he would actually play tennis, but I could definitely see that happening. He seems like someone who would have played tennis or at least smoked on a tennis court at some point in his life. <laughs> yeah. What's our smoking policy? In that's a great part? question. You don't see, that's another like antiquated thing. You don't see in anybody else's movies anymore is cigarettes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like you can smoke, but only, cigarettes that are out of production at this point only fictional i was gonna say does he have a fictional brand does he have like a laramie cigarettes no. i think he uses apple. real brands um it's too um, bad So let's talk uh, Life Aquatic. That's that's yes. your water zone. Yeah, water area. That's your submarine adventure. That would I would like an experience that feels like you know the ending that you are with Steve. You're packed into the sub as yes. we're chasing down the the shark. Right. That's the only ride I really really want to do. Would be hunting the jaguar shark in a really cramped submarine. <laughs> Yeah, it's really and it's great. all it's all just uh, a stop motion animated experience, you mm -hmm. know, with uh, uh, with articulation and and uh, and stuff like uh, like you're doing Star Tours, you know. Yes. Um, 
I mean, that one, that one makes itself. Um, I love that one. I love the boat too. Like just exploring around there. I honestly, oh, yeah. I'd like to like sleep on that boat. Like, I think we should make each of these little areas have a hotel where you can like spend the night there. Cause the deck, like there's a scene where there's like a party at night on the deck of the ship. It's beautiful. Like I would love to spend some time there in the evening and then go sleep, you know, in like the, whatever the crew quarters under in the ship. Yeah. He's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I mean, also on that boat, he had that like that hot air balloon type of thing going on it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to live in that. That's, that's like a, a premium VIP experience. The, sure. the after hours uh, hotel experience in the Tenenbaum's house, you know, they like uh, after the, traction is closed for the night you can the rooms are hotel rooms like they i don't know or maybe there's another copy of that house that's just for private use yeah there's um, a lot of hotel-y type spaces and like cool bedrooms in in this uh universe um but yeah yeah other stuff from life aquatic that you need to yeah hit. i mean yeah that the the submarine ride the underwater submarine ride is a hundred percent the you know um the triple a ride and that right maybe like a shooting type thing because they do get attacked by pirates and then they like go to this island and you could have like some kind of i don't know how you would do it as a video game maybe just like a shooting video game like area 51 or something but it's wes (laughs) anderson style (laughs) really yeah it's like all right, so we you know, you remember those old House of the Dead games? Yes. You know, it's just that, but it's it's the Steve it's Zissou version. Um, I love that. And the best thing is, you never have to reload your gun because it has infinite bullets. Um, <laughs> that always struck me. He's just like, he, yeah, you're he right, just wildly shooting eighty rounds out of that thing. Um, That's probably which, a joke. Like Wes was like. Yeah. It's funny in old movies when they don't pay attention to how many bullets they have. So I'll do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a choice. I'm sure it was a choice. Um, I don't know if yeah. I'd want to spend that much time with Steve Zissou. Like, it is my favorite Wes Anderson movie, but because he's such a like flawed character, yeah. I had a fan I, theory that he's he's what happens when Johnny Quest grows up. Like when you live this just action world all the time, and it's like about scientific discoveries. And then punching stuff. It's like when you get old and like sad, you just turn into Steve Zissou, I think. Yeah. I I remember I another one of those things where um this was another thing that came out of the QA because uh, somebody asked, like, you know, so Steve, Steve's mentor is Esteban, which is Spanish for Steve. Right. And uh and he was like, so is he like, is he looking, is that about how he needs to find um, peace and 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 let, and learn from himself? Is that what this is about? And Wes, it was like the first time he had ever noticed that Steve and Esteban were the same name. <laughs> and he was like, oh, um, no, I just, I like the name Esteban. I didn't realize that's also Steve. That's so funny. I mean, it's like the Mordecai Feathers thing. It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you know, a part of him died and he's avenging that loss of his whatever, yeah. you know, like, yeah, you can you can make something up. Um, but yeah, it's just a very Jacques Cousteau inspired uh, movie, I think. And so doing some having like screenings of Jacques Cousteau uh, 
shows and stuff would be kind of cool. And you know what? Uh, Max from Rushmore was really into Jacques Cousteau or some kind of like aquatic society. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. There's like there's a picture of like Jason Schwartzman, like that's an exact match of a Cousteau picture that like Wes Anderson made where he's huh. I think sit, sitting in the go-kart or something. Um yeah, I remember that. Um I think he checks out a book from that is about Jacques Cousteau or something. But anyway, we can connect those two worlds. Would you want Cousteau documentaries or would you want Zizou documentaries? I think I think Zizou myself, but but that style of of film is kind of here's some cool adventures I went on. Um it's a really fun thing. Yeah. I really like the the stop motion and all that stuff is great. Yeah, and that's a place you can go. You can go into this section of the park when it's too hot out. You know, you need some air mm-hmm. conditioning. You go watch the Steve Zizou anthology or something. That's cool. Probably like four. Oh, four or five to ten minute uh right just quick little parts. things yeah and and it could be part of the tour going through the ship kind of like we have at the royal tenenbaums place like you just kind of sit in this room if you want to and like tour groups will keep moseying on through um mm-hmm. it'd be really cool also to have a stop on that tour where um that musician i forget his name so george or something like that is playing oh, yeah, yeah. those bowie covers oh, in yeah. portuguese yeah <laughs> Yeah, the the Bowie covers, <clears throat> I want to say, would be playing throughout that section of the park, but that just might make everyone go insane. Uh, <laughs> right there. Yeah, that's very true. Um, but yeah, it, there's also a cool part where they like they screen this film in this beautiful village. Like, uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be Italy. I kind of forget the setting. Yeah, I think it is Italy. That would be really cool to kind of just do that little area as just a really nice theater maybe we play some screen movies in there we could also do theater like theatrical performances like like the ones from rushmore for example he has like a theater troupe that does all these gritty like vietnam plays and stuff yeah you walk down the street with your with your kid on your shoulders oh that's such a cool scene yeah just like a really cool um italian stair set and you can see the life aquatic water area you know from those stairs i think that'd be really cool it's, this is getting expensive, but yeah. Um, <laughs> We've got the budget. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I think to cut the budget down, the Darjeeling Limited, that's just our train that connects the lands, right? That's all we yeah. need from that movie, right? Right. It's just a, it's a cool, quaint train uh, driving around the theme park. Boom. Uh, nailed it. To, to, be, to be honest, that was the one Wes Anderson movie that I did not care for. I, I've, I saw it once and i went eh. and i'm in the same boat out. honestly i didn't think it had the same spark or the same magic the characters maybe felt real but they didn't feel like wes anderson characters to me yeah. what what really and this is a very mild spoiler but uh what really made me grow angry was at the end uh, of the movie um you know, like all throughout the movie, the characters are are dragging suitcases with them, literally their baggage, you know, and they, you know, they're dragging their baggage and their history. And then at the end, they all they all toss away their baggage, release their baggage, and get on the train. And I was like, come on, we can we can do no, better. No, the suitcases were just really heavy. That wasn't planned as part of the script. It just... <laughs> no, yeah. you're right. It was a little a little obvious. Yeah, it so, felt like so, someone inspired by Wes Anderson made that movie. 
then he put yeah. his name on it or something. I don't know. It, it has his his players that are usually in his movies, but I agree. The train is cool, but the, the movie I wasn't crazy about. That's our that's our monorail. We can put the the train from the H and M come together commercial to <laughs> you know going on the same track. So you can either get on yeah. the Darjeeling Limited or you can get on the H and M train. <laughs> Christmas time train. Yeah, which um, I, I love that scene. There's like it's it's basically the the short. I love the plot of this commercial more than the plot of the Darjeeling Limited, unfortunately. But <laughs> but it's about this train's being delayed, so everyone's gonna miss like celebrating the holidays with their family. So they decide to like put a Christmas tree up and like cut little uh snowflakes out of paper and tinfoil and whatnot and have a little cute Christmas together. It's it's really sweet. Um so doing that yeah. would be cool. Or maybe we just switch the train out in the winter season to be come together train. Yeah, it made me realize um Wes doesn't do holiday movies or anything. I was like, I want to, I want to see a Wes Anderson Christmas movie now. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I, I like that idea a lot. Uh, Wes making another movie? Oh yeah, but I mean, <laughs> a, a winter like a holiday one would be kind of cool. The soundtrack, I think, would be great. Even that commercial, man. The the I think that was it. I think that's his holiday movie. Is this H and M commercial? The soundtrack's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, and then it had. Had John Lennon's Happy Christmas Wars over at the end and everything. Yeah, it's so good. Check out this H&M commercial. <laughs> yeah, if, if there's one takeaway from all of the works Wes Anderson's done, please watch the H&M commercial and buy products from H&M. Fantastic Mr. Fox is the next uh, picture chronologically. That's a challenge. It is a challenge. We can either make the park guest be Fox scale or human scale. I think that's the first thing to decide. So you're, you're saying maybe we just, um, we this is like kind of the children's section of the park or something. I like that. That's uh, cool. I mean, this is the easiest one to get character meet and greets because they're character costumes. <laughs> right. Um, so we have that. Uh, but what is the what is the ride? What is the you know, so we've got, you yeah. know, this area set up. Um, Lots of cool tunnels. Yeah, uh, there is a ride. There's a motorcycle escape towards the end mm-hmm. of the movie where they go over a big ramp that launches over the, the wall and they go drive by the wolf and nothing really that thrilling necessarily. But I could see it as it works well as a kid's place because the movie kind of opens up with like sort of an obstacle course of sneaking in to like get a chicken or something where they're doing all kinds of obstacle course like gymnastic stuff. Um, so it, it would work well as like a playground area and then a bunch of series of tunnels and going into the sewer and touring like this uh, cider distillery yeah. thing. Well, yeah, I would say it's the playground area, but I... I also want Moonrise Kingdom coming right after this. Moonrise mm. Kingdom feels like the wilderness explorers, you know, set your own agenda. Yeah. Just like an island of stuff to climb on and, and you know, screw around in and discover. So I don't want to have two this can of can connect them. right next. This can butt up against it if you want to. And those, because I could see those scouts exploring this area and maybe discovering the tunnels and they're going to like, explore Mm -hmm. through these tunnel systems or whatever um yeah i think that would kind of work yeah 
because the Moonrise Kingdom, of course, you you would you know find uh you know find a radio tower and there would be recordings of you know of, of broadcasts and you could then speak or maybe it connects to a radio tower on the other end of the island you can talk mm, to that person or, or that's something. cool um you could even talk to characters from the film um i always like that when you have kind of a an artificial someone who can just do a voice your act or they have a voice modulator or whatever and they sound like a character from the movie and you can talk to them or they like make fun of you or whatever because they have a camera on you um but Uh, you can't see them i think that kind of stuff would be kind of cool or you just hear like little moments from from various movies as you're like putting in this dial you can pick up various conversations from various movies maybe yeah yeah i i mean that's like that's the one that i would uh I, I would take a kid there to the Moonrise right. Kingdom area and just that's like run around and climb on stuff. And there's only like maybe one entrance. So it's like get lost. You know, I'll just cool. be sitting here by the entrance and kind of because I want a kid to have an experience where they can just be unsupervised and explore or something. Um, I like that. Am I, that's smart. Yeah. Unless I'm setting this up for uh, disaster and uh, lawsuits. Eh. There's a there's scoutmasters uh, stationed throughout to keep an eye on people and provide first aid. Yeah, uh, and a series of of cameras hidden in all the owls' eyes, in the woods. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Don't worry, I got um, you covered. <laughs> all right, thank you. But but that's like to me that that's the feeling of that movie is um is about kids and the great big world and mm-hmm. they're just on their own. Uh, and so I would want to be able to give that feeling above all else in the Moonrise Kingdom section. I wonder if it would be, you know, am I excluding the adults? Am I now making it weird if adults go through there too? I don't think so. I think the adults maybe would put themselves in a more, like it'd be like a flashback to their childhood camping trips or whatever, or their time when they were at that weird scout base camp where there's like so many tents set up. Yeah, and and yeah, I would definitely see camp counselors there, just rallying kids up, going, "Okay, it's we're doing the, we're doing the obstacle course or whatever to to put some structure if kids want that." But you can also just kind of run around and do whatever you want. Um, it's a cool thing, and I, I like the island itself is really pretty. Um, it's it kind of works well, I think, putting it sort of between the area of like that little town in the farms of fantastic mr fox and then the life aquatic ocean you know because this is like an island on moonrise kingdom and there's the lighthouse and kind of works going between those areas and i like the uh they do this really elaborate stage show um in the church i think it'd be kind of cool to do the little noah's ark play or whatever that is there it's it's a really that's an interesting scene and then they start to get like it's like they get uh there's a storm and they all get kind of trapped in the church which is playing noah's ark Uh it's a little a little obvious i guess there too so so you think maybe um like there's the 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 church area with the stage in it and the you know and they just kind of they'll just do like every hour or something they're going to do a performance with 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 local children you know you're not thinking like uh actors doing this performance you want like yeah i guess it would be kids or do you want it to be a, a, a performance of real actory kids? That's a great question. Or 
kids who are good at acting like they're regular kids. But they're professionals. <laughs> oh, oh, you're, you're running, a, running a con here. Well, hey, um, the kids in the movie were actors, but they seem like kids. Yeah. Huh? We get those kids. Yeah. I remember once I went to a traveling circus and uh, and they like pulled kids out of the audience to like do a, do a dance contest. And some of Whoa. these kids were amazing. And you go, wow. You know, and everyone's cheering. And then I saw those kids run. They did not go back to their seats. They went... <laughs> in the back and i was like those are kids that work here you see those kids later like on a smoke break and yeah yeah that, <laughs> they they conned me good that's great uh yeah i think that's really cool like the the exploration and the traversal of the woods and like i grew up in the country like I, that's definitely what my childhood looked like kind of cool to just have a place for kids to do that like thing speaking of things that have been kind of lost to time a little bit is the uh go run around and then, you know, come back when the sun goes down kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I, I like that. I, you know, that could be, if, if, if we have budget cuts, I think just the Moonrise Kingdom and the Main Street area could be, could be the, the lowest cost version of this park and still have the, the spirit. And everything else is gravy. Beautiful. Yeah, everything else, you're just kind of raiding... Um, vintage stores and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you could do this on the cheap. Like you don't need all the fancy whirling gizmos and holographic stuff that we normally have on this show. Like this is a pretty old fashioned experience, I think. Yeah. You, I, I would say that except, you know, that Wes would be insisting on doing this all himself. Uh, and so it would probably get pretty expensive. Um, because he, he because he he knows exactly the you know the model of vintage record player he needs and he needs it fully restored that's absolutely true you're right you talked about royal tenenbaums hotel i mean there is a grand budapest hotel there is uh, <laughs> you're not wrong yes could stay at the grand budapest hotel which feels like maybe the better option for a hotel fine fine if you want to stay in a uh, hotel like a normal person i want to sleep on a dang boat so i mean that movie had a had a ski chase we could just do the hotel as the hotel and that's really all the theming that we need stay at yeah. the grand budapest hotel and, and it's beautiful and there's photo opportunities everywhere because each room is just gorgeous and really well decorated yeah you think of it like uh do you know the madonna inn have you heard of that hotel it's in california and like each room is themed and decorated very particularly and no room is like any other room you know that would be nice if the grand budapest had all these unique rooms um yeah there's several other hotels that they show flashes of in that movie um when they call other hotels and stuff you yeah. can do different rooms that are like the color schemes of those different hotels you can do references and homages to all the different movies too really maybe this hotel has replicas of all the bedrooms that i was talking about earlier <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah whatever you could stay in richie tenenbaum's bedroom inside the grand budapest hotel uh, yeah, I mean, you're not going to let me let our guests sleep in the Royal Tenenbaum's house that they're yeah, touring yeah. through. So <laughs> yeah. it's a it's a little meta, but I guess I guess no, it does. It that is 
a very strange idea for sure. But if we're doing different themed rooms, they could be. This is what happens if Wes Anderson was to really lower his standards and just do like a, a connected Marvel Cinematic Universe where he's just like, there's Easter eggs of each character walking along in the background of other every other movie. And if you didn't have any class, you could really make some money off of this guy. <laughs> uh, but no, it'd be cool to do uh, Mendel's Bakery. The prison is kind of a cool area too. And they go do like a prison visit and... Uh, Having like the prison escape could make be kind of a cool escape room too. Yeah. Oh, an escape room. That's a good idea. It would work in the prison, I think. I don't know if every film has an area to do an escape room. I mean, yeah. Life Aquatic, maybe when the pirates are on the ship, um, there could be an escape room of trying to get away from the pirates. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, so that, I mean, an escape room, you would need to just make your reservation or something. I don't think... I, you know, I feel like that's a reserve in advance type of experience. Oh, for sure. Um, maybe that's all inside the hotel or something, just all the different themed escape rooms. Um, I like that. I think that could be cool. And and also, if you're going to be staying there all night, you know, sleeping in a hotel like you do, we could have the, the escape room could run all night. And then you for sure would be able to book a, a time. Bottle Rocket have a very, very simple mental hospital escape mm-hmm. um, where, you know, they're they're all just kind of humoring you as because you can leave anytime you want a type of escape room. That's a fun new genre that's unexplored territory of complete this in five minutes. What's left? We've just got Isle of Dogs. So now that's Japan. That's very different. I don't want to do the garbage dump. I don't want to theme a garbage dump land. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It, it's not uh, the most beautiful uh, backdrops. That that version of Japan, like the city is cool. Man, what a different movie that one is too for his style. It feels a lot darker. The humans are a lot more villainous. Well, yeah, I, I had... Uh, when watching Isle of Dogs, my problem watching it was like, why is everyone being so mean to their dogs? Um, because it was just like, you know, they set up like it was forced. Everyone had to throw, get rid of their dogs. Dogs were banished and sent to the garbage dump. And I'm just like, I wouldn't send my dog to the garbage dump. <laughs> uh, you know, just like everyone. Like, yeah, it is a weird fiction. All our dogs are out there on the garbage dump fending for themselves. It's like, I don't I don't buy it. I don't buy, I'll buy it either. Yeah. Uh, we don't even have to represent it here. We can boycott that one. We can say, I love dogs. Dogs can be anywhere they want. And there's just dogs running everywhere in this theme park. We just have stray animals throughout the yeah, park. I love it. <laughs> okay. If it's, uh, if it's an animal shown in any of these movies, then they're welcome here. Rabbit or mangy or whatever. All the creatures from Fantastic Mr. Fox and I love dogs and all the falcons that yeah. want to come visit. If they and it, and it, and if they were anthropomorphic dogs, you could do character meet and greets. But they're dog dogs. They're yeah, uh, they're barking dog dogs. Yeah, they talk, but they walk on four legs like dogs, and that's uh, it's tough. And then you know, and then there's the little, you know, the little Japanese school. Those are the two main locations of this. I guess there's also, you know, there's that fantastical element 
at the end where then like cats are behind this whole scheme and there's like all the evil cats i i don't know yeah the rest of it plays really nicely together even though you know we had to kind of fudge the time frame a little bit i think isle of dogs doesn't quite fit yeah yeah that might be another uh bottle rocket type you know ride along ride yeah yeah that's great it's just an experience miniatures and uh and the story there's a long a portion of the movie where of isle of dogs where they're in like a cart type thing moving along a cable i think Mm -hmm. yeah um there's also one of those cable cars in grand budapest hotel so i don't know maybe we could do something with cable cars it's just a ride experience for both of those. Yeah, that, that one's probably just uh, another narrative ride where you're kind of floating through uh, dioramas and miniatures and recreations of the sets as it's taking you through the story. And then at the end, you, then you get reunited with your dog. Um, yeah, then all the dogs are happy at the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, that's, and we can't talk about French Dispatch because... Uh, I don't, I've only seen a trailer for that. Yeah, there's a few other things that Wes Anderson worked on, but those I think are the the main motion picture releases. There's a couple other commercials. He's done two product commercials, which are both kind of interesting little vignettes of stories, which could make for like interactive theater type experiences, but they're not necessarily roller coasters. Didn't he do a credit card commercial too? Yeah, yeah, he did like a... It's, it's kind of cool too. It's like, it's set up to be a behind the scenes, like here's how I make movies kind of thing, but he's self parodying as well. Um, yeah. It's a great commercial. I think it's a American express. I kind of forget, but yeah, if you look up Wes Anderson credit card commercial, it's pretty funny. Um, I was thinking about doing like a behind the scenes type of thing. I don't know if that would just be playing the, the featurettes from the DVDs in, in one of the little museum type areas, which is boring, but I would totally sit there and watch those um, or having an area where you're learning about how, films are made but that doesn't feel like a wes anderson thing to do if this was a wes anderson museum then that would be in there but that's not what this is we've made his uh we've made a park you know in his worlds but we haven't made a park that that incorporates wes as a person right he's not here yeah yeah that's Um, interesting good point so so you feel like you know uh, i mean some sort of maybe like that American express commercial where there's like a video of him going like, welcome to Wes Anderson, like playing Walt Disney going like, welcome, follow me to a world. Oh, that's pretty cool, man. Uh, and maybe it's the way you enter the theme park is like, um, as if you're learning about behind the scenes of Wes Anderson, then you like walk into this whimsical, magical world of you go through the, uh, wardrobe and you like come out on the other side and you're in the world of the movies or whatever. I don't know. That's cheesy. Um, but <laughs> that's a way to have it both ways, I guess, is to have it as distinct separate things. And one could be the entrance and exit of the theme park. And then that way you can sell merchandise that says Isle of Dogs on it. While the Isle of Dogs attraction is not going to say Isle of Dogs anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. These decisions are really up to Wes, honestly, about what we want <laughs> in the attractions and stuff. So there's yeah. no point in really spending our time on it. <laughs> yeah, but I think I think we've made a good start here. Like... You know, if we send him this audio file in about 18 to 25 years, <laughs> he'll he'll have he'll have a nice blueprint for a for a park. Um, but then I think he'll he'll be resorting to just having a voicemail set up somewhere and we'll just play this full hour and a half long 
MP3 over the phone for him. And uh, yeah, he can take it and run with it if he wants to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just like just watching those movies. I'm always like, I just want to live in it. And I, you know, and I think it's also the fact that I know it's not an attempt at any version of reality. It's just this idealized, uh, well put together, everything in its place. But also everyone's always sad in those movies. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like everyone's sad, but, but I still want to live there. Which I, maybe I'm taking the wrong lessons from this guy. I think that's relatable, though. I think that's when you see Mordecai that's molted, you're like, me too, man. Like, I think yeah. there's, I think there's something relatable about all of these movies about finding the humor in really dark things, and then things are really happy, and then tragically sad all of a sudden, or uh, your expectations are just subverted all the time. Man, that's life, you know. I as much as I love Wes Anderson. I hate watching his movies in a theater or in a public mm. setting because there's always people laughing at the wrong stuff. Yes. Uh, because it's so <laughs> ambiguous. It, it like the tone doesn't really change when he's doing a joke versus when he's being very serious. And there's always people laughing at the wrong stuff. So I imagine this park, there's going to be people just like giggling at stuff and you're just like, no, no, that's not funny. That's serious. Maybe it has to be a solo experience. You you go yeah. through it on your own. I feel that exact same way. It, it like hurts my feelings. Like I I love the Life Aquatic, so I show it to new people all the time. And then if they laugh at Klaus, I'm offended. I'm like, no, he's an yeah. angel. Don't laugh at him. Like he's sad. I know what he said is funny. I know his accent's funny, but don't <laughs> laugh at him. Well, yeah, it was also like Willem Dafoe is like way too old to be that like <laughs> that little buddy. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> No, you're right, but that's what I that's what I love about it is that it's it's this old man Willem Dafoe, and he's like, I always thought of you two as my dads. Um, yeah, yeah, you're like I thought of him as my dad. It's like you're his contemporary, man. <laughs> right? Yeah, you might be older than him. I don't actually know. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, it's it's an experience to watch these movies. I think by yourself or with someone you can trust that they're not going to laugh at the wrong parts. Um, but being able to walk through them would be obviously more immersive. But also, I think you would want to keep it as artificial and as as Anderson-y as possible and not making it a vibrant world where people are running around and juggling and you're shaking hands with all the characters and they're all smiling and laughing. It's like, I don't think that's it. I think you just want like a cold um, exploration of these of these vignettes. I think that's what, you, yeah. what I want, at least. Yeah, and I'm kind of backtracking when I said like, I don't want characters because the actors are so iconic in them but i feel like you could get an actress to do a margot tenenbaum and i would very much you know a walk around and interact and stuff yeah that would be cool as interactive theater um in like taking the stories in different directions um yeah, i'm i'm down for that yeah me too but yeah it's it's hard to, to peg what our target demographic is for this oh there's, like like you said this park is losing money from day one the construction will be delayed for years mm-hmm. uh, and it will be triple the budget that they thought it was going to be. And it's not going to make any money at the box office. Literally it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, it is going to take a lot of supervision. Wes Anderson's going to be busy for decades, just supervising every, yeah. every nuance and nook and cranny. And man, this will be the first criterion edition theme. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. But where do you go to, my lovely? 
when you're alone in your bed tell me the thoughts that surround you i want to look inside your head beautiful yes, I do. man that was a blast alan thank you so much for being on the show um <laughs> that was that was a wild one but i had a blast yeah. uh yeah. if the audience wants to to learn more about your stuff where might they go on the internet well if you want to see stuff i've written uh check out uh sonic boom it's in america you can find it on uh, hulu uh there's two seasons there's 104 episodes i was a story editor on that show and or co-wrote 20 episodes um if you want to find me personally uh check me out on twitter at alan the writer a-l-a-n the writer your tweets are really funny yours is one of those accounts that almost every new tweet i read i have to tell my wife about it when i get home because it's oh, like yeah we, we just both do that like we you know we work separately then in the evenings we'll come home and we'll be like look at this funny thing i read um yeah you just you got some bangers on there man it's a good thank twitter you. follow sure thanks. awesome thanks for for being on the show um if the audience has any ideas for how we could fix this theme park bizarre monstrosity we've just created uh feel free to give us your comments on social media throughout the rest of time wes anderson if you're out there here's how you can get in touch with us. It's at Amusement Sparks on social media. Um, We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at that handle. And then also AmusementSparks.com. Mm-hmm.